What's up, what's up, what's up? I'm super excited about today's podcast. I get to talk NBA, I get to talk NFL, and I get to talk college football all at once. This is fantastic. So first, I want to say I hope you got a chance to check out my All-NBA podcast last week to get you up to speed before the season started. It was a good one, and of course, the official format NBA analyst Andy Noel joined us to give his thoughts and get you all ready to go. So we're back to a regular show this week, and uh, let's get it going. The NBA is here, or Shannon Sharp likes to say, LeBron James got his butt cut on opening night. Kyrie Irving went off for 50 in a loss in his opener. Kawhi Leonard has the Clippers looking like a monster, and Paul George isn't even there yet. In college football, the Badgers traveled to the shoe for a huge matchup in the Big Ten with major playoff implications against Ohio State. Auburn goes down to Death Valley and try and beat Joe Burrow in that high-powered passing offense. And in the nightcap, Notre Dame goes to the big house trying to keep their slim playoff hopes alive. And Jim Harbaugh tries to get a win to cool his already blazing seat. In the NFL, the cream is rising to the top. Baker Mayfield goes to Cleveland and Kyle Allen will be tested against the 49ers' stingy defense. Finally, in the Bruce breakdown, I'll tell you why Adam Gaze made the stupid list last week. All that and a whole lot more. But before you sit back, relax, and listen up, let me just take one more second to do one more thing. This is something I've been meaning to do for a couple of months now. So uh, a couple months back, I was uh, playing the new Madden uh, with my my nephew, Jakari Jenkins, out in Cali. Shout out, Jakari. And uh, he bet me on the game, and I didn't want to take his money. So the bet was if I lost the game, I'd have to give him a shout out on my podcast, on the format. And so as luck would have it, I did lose the game and uh, I'm finally remembering to go ahead and pay up that bet. So shout out Jakari, what up nephew? Um, I lost the game and here's me paying up, man. I love you. So now that all that's done and probably the longest intro we've ever had on this podcast, you can sit back, relax and listen up to episode 41 of The Format. I don't usually pay too much attention to the NBA this early, but after the most unprecedented offseason in history in terms of big names moving and injuries to key players, this definitely has been arguably the most anticipated opening week in NBA history. It's only been a couple of games for most teams, but definitely got some takeaways. In the opener, LeBron and the Lakers versus Kawhi and the Clippers. I'm a fun guy. <laughs> will be must-see TV all season long. What did we see from LeBron? Well, one thing we saw was his typical reluctance to defend another elite wing player. But, you know, let me guess. He's in year 17 and he's running the point. So he can't be expected to shoulder all that offensive load and defend, right? Yeah, okay. I mean, that's what the elites do. But that's cool. Whatever. We'll, we'll let that ride. I guess one of the questions I have for LeBron is, 
where was he when Kawhi Leonard went off? I mean, in the, I believe, second quarter of that game, while it was still close, Kawhi had seven straight buckets. Now, I get the whole argument that LeBron has a lot of responsibility offensively. I get the argument he's in year 17 with more tread on his tires probably than just about anybody who's played that long in terms of, you know, most minutes and deep playoff runs year after year after year. I, I get all that. And that's fair. Except when you want to start putting this dude in the GOAT conversation, well, you got to start looking at things a different way and stop making excuses. At the end of the day, the GOAT conversation, right? If you look at a Michael Jordan or a Kareem or a Kobe Bryant, these type of guys, there is no way that an elite player on the opposite team is going off like that. And coach be damned, they're not saying, I'm taking this assignment and I'm stopping this. It's not happening on my watch. But hey, who am I? I'm just a guy sitting here podcasting, right? I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I mean, that that that's how I see it. There's just that point where one of those elite players would have tried to stop that from going down. But he seemed intent, uh, as he did say, in deferring to Anthony Davis, which was cool. And that was right in tune with the offseason song that he sang about running the offense to Anthony Davis and making him the man. But uh even though AD has a great skill set, he's he's just not an alpha. He's not a guy that you can consistently go to and expect dominance. He'll have those games, and he has the skill set to give you numbers on a regular basis, but he's not a guy that you can go to say, we're going to run this through you night in, night out, and you're going to dominate based on what he can give you. Because even when he was healthy in New Orleans, putting up numbers, what did it reap? Nothing. We've never seen that from him, even going back to the time at Kentucky. And at Kentucky, he was a defensive anchor. So, I mean, it is what it is. But now, when it comes to LeBron, I won't go as far as Kenny Smith and say he looked unathletic. I think that's a stretch. But if one game can even be any sort of indication, he isn't and won't be the same LeBron. And again, year 17, all those miles, he can't be the same LeBron. And side note to that, it's amazing to me how, you know, all the LeBron people make the argument on one hand that that's the reason that he's so great because of the production that he puts up at this late stage in his career. But on the same hand, they use that late stage in his career and all the mileage on his body as an excuse for why he can't do this or why he can't do that. Talk about talking out of both sides of your mouth, right? But anyway, um, there's still plenty of time for him to change the perception, but the spin machine, which is already in motion, is getting into full gear. It was clear tonight if the highest bar in the league is the Clippers, if they're the ones that people are racing against, this Lakers team may need more on their roster. See what I mean? Anyway, let's flip it to the other side now. What did we see from Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers? When it comes to Kawhi, well, first, let's ask the always outspoken Charles Barkley what he thought about Kawhi. And they got the sideboard coming over here tonight, too. He's going to send a message to y'all, too. What's the sideboard? Uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard. Okay. You saw what he did on Tuesday. Yeah. We were there, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Well, well, know, hey, it wasn't no taco Tuesday. Was, I'm coming to your house to kick your ass, too. Hey. <laughs> that's, what, that's what happened yeah. on Tuesday. It was taco Tuesday! Yeah. <laughs> Wow, Chuck, tell him how you really feel. But I think if, you, if you're if asking yourself realistically, what did you see from Kawhi? I think you saw from Kawhi what you've come to expect from him over the last couple of years or so. This guy is, 
he's a special, special basketball player. It took him some years in the league to really come into his own and to be able to reach this level. But now there may be a legitimate argument that he's the best player in the game, even with a healthy Kevin Durant. Now, that's obviously a matchup that we would love to see on a consistent basis. And who knows if KD ever comes back, you know, the same level of player. But there is a legitimate argument to be made that right now Kawhi Leonard is the best player in the game. But again, that's a lot of, you know, supposition to make for being just after game one. But uh, he looks really, really good. He gave the Lakers an easy 30 you know, as I mentioned earlier, he took over during that stretch where he hit seven straight shots. And, you know, that's what we've come to expect from him. He scored, he defended, and the scary thing really is that Paul George is not even there yet. So I've mentioned it before on previous podcasts, just even from the defensive side, the versatility that you're going to have when you've got a Pat Beverly on the point of attack on the ball, you've got a Kawhi Leonard, you've got a Paul George, you've got a Montrez Harrell, and you got a Zubach anchoring, you know, at some level of rim protection. That is a dangerous, dangerous defensive basketball team. And then obviously you have two all NBA caliber players who can score the basketball. I mean, the sky's the limit. And at this point, the Clippers have to be the favorites on paper. And even based on what we saw from the first couple of games, they look really, really outstanding. The East had some pretty good matchups, too. Um, Kemba Walker did not play well at all in his debut with the Celtics. Uh, he was only 4 for 18, and the Celtics lost to the Sixers. And by the way, I did pick the Sixers to come out of the East. I picked them last year to come out of the East, and obviously <laughs> the aforementioned Kawhi Leonard took care of that. But based on how the East looks now, and again, everything is based on providing teams are healthy, the Sixers have size, they have length, they can score inside, they can shoot it. I mean, they really don't look like they have very many weaknesses at all. And they can be a nightmare defensively because of their height in the front court and their length all over the floor. So they are going to be very dangerous. But anyway, uh, uh, back to the Sixers, Joel Embiid, he didn't play particularly well either in this first game. I think he only had like uh, 15 and 14, but... The 76ers are dangerous because all five starters scored 15 or more points in this game. And that was one of the things that I pointed to last season was the ability to get points pretty much from anywhere on that starting five. And then you still had a solid bench. So that gives a coach a lot of versatility offensively in terms of his substitution patterns on, you know, will we still be able to score if certain players are out of the game? So that's a beautiful thing to have. They really want to look like they are going to replicate last year's balanced scoring and um you know just just dangerous uh ben simmons he had a great opening game 11 of 16 from the floor of 24 points but we still didn't see him make or even take a three during the game and we know that was a, a big focal point for him in terms of his offseason workouts and getting his jump shot to a place where he felt really comfortable in it and even to the point where when he knocked down a three during a preseason game, it almost broke the internet. So uh, who knows what's going to happen when he actually hits one during a regular season game. But I guess the NBA world will uh, have to keep waiting on that one. Kyrie Irving set the record for most points in a debut with a new team with 50 for the Nets. Yes, I said 55-0. He's getting absolutely what he wanted. He's getting the ball in his hands all the time. He's getting pretty much unlimited shots, and especially without Kevin Durant, he's the number one scoring option, and you know he relishes that, which, side note, it'll be interesting to see how he adapts next season when KD comes back on the floor. And I'm starting to wonder 
how capable is Kyrie Irving of playing within a real system? I mean, we know he's a play ball, uh, playground type of guy. You know, he basically can take his man off the dribble just about anytime he wants to, gets to the rim well, is an outstanding finisher with both hands around the basket, even in traffic. And all that, you know, credit is due. But is he a guy that really makes teammates better? From what we've seen, no. Is he a guy that plays well within a real system? From what we've seen, no. So, you know, you got to wonder what that's going to be like going forward for him. He couldn't work within Brad Stevens' system and with the Celtics, and that's a super friendly point guard system. Anybody remember Isaiah Thomas? I know it was a few years ago, but, you know, he averaged almost 29 points a game at 5'8 in the NBA, right? So if he could do that in that system, there's no reason Kyrie couldn't. But again, you have to worry, uh, wonder how good is he at actually playing within a real system. And so I think there's going to be a lot of nights going forward like this in Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving is going to go off. He's going to get his, and the Nets are going to lose. And something tells me that he'll be just fine with that. Next up, Greek Freak. He uh, opened the defense of his uh, MVP with a strong road win over the Houston Rockets. Honestly, I was impressed to see not the 30 and 13. Like, we know he can get that pretty much with his eyes closed. But what surprised me were the 11 assists that he got for the triple-double. Now, the Bucks are a team that takes and makes a whole lot of threes. I think they led the league last season. So if his teammates aren't hitting, he won't get those type of assist numbers regularly. But it definitely showed something, his ability to take advantage of the fact that he garners a lot of attention defensively and get the ball in the hands of his shooters and or cutters. Now, I still feel like the Bucks. If they want to win, they need to get Giannis a second superstar, but he's got what he's got. And to me, that's good enough to get at least to the Eastern Conference Finals and lose to the 76ers because I think he won't have enough help. Still, he's going to have a great season. Now, on the other side of that game, any chance at all James Harden spent too much time working on new moves in the offseason? Because he had a terrible opening night. He was 2 of 13 from the floor with 19 points, but... In true James Harden fashion, he was 14 for 14 from the line. Now, uh, Russell Westbrook did pick up the slack with 24 points, 17 rebounds, and 7 assists. Very Westbrookian game, except for the fact that if he was in OKC, he probably would have gotten a triple-double. But I think those triple-doubles now are going to slow down a lot this season because you're going to have another guy in Harden who's going to have his hands on the ball a lot. But he's still going to... uh, you know, he's going to get his numbers. Now, I'm looking forward to see how this all works out or if these two eventually explode. And for my money, I believe they'll eventually explode because they're both so ball dominant and used to doing it by themselves their own way. The last thing I'm going to hit here is if you're a Warrior fan, get ready for a longer season than you've had in years. And I don't mean long in terms of calendar length. Um, I mean long in terms of a lot more losses than you're used to. They still might make the playoffs just on veteran leadership, championship DNA, and experience, but we are going to see a real test here of Draymond Green and Steph Curry's on-court leadership and Steve Kerr's coaching ability. You know, we've been hearing for years, it's real easy for Steve Kerr to look like a great coach with, you know, Draymond and Clay and Steph Curry, and then you add in Kevin Durant. Like, it's real easy. Anybody could have won with that. So... That being the case, now he's got a totally different roster. We will see what type of coach he is. In their opener at the Chase Center, uh, the Clippers stayed on a roll and definitely ruined the uh, opening night of the building for the Warriors. And uh, 
you know, again, I really think Kawhi Leonard, I think at this point he's reveling in being the best player in the league. He showed out again. He had 21 points in uh, 21 minutes last night. But what I liked were the nine assists. So not only is he getting buckets with ease, now he's also getting into the distribution and passing the ball and uh, getting other teammates involved. That previously had been the knock on him and what people pointed to as a great separator between himself and LeBron James. Now, I'm not trying to say that he's as good or a better passer than LeBron. That's not the case. But uh, the fact that he is now expanding that aspect of his game could only make him more dangerous. Um, regardless, it's very early, only two games in, but boy, Kawhi Leonard looks good. On the flip side, the Warriors look unrecognizable from the team that we watched dominate for most of the past five seasons. Uh, a lot of people, myself included, saw Steph Curry returning to an MVP-level player, but uh, not last night. He uh, was 8 for 20 from the field, only made 2 of 11 three-point field goal attempts for 23 points, but the killer was 8 turnovers. Now, I think it would be ridiculous to assume that the turnovers would not increase with a much heavier usage rate this season. I I think, you know, anybody who used their brain could pretty much see that that would happen. Uh, but also, the fact that he had to deal with Pat Beverly on ball last night is also going to play a big role in the turnovers. But still, this was a bad game for Steph Curry. Uh, I think he is really going to have a strong season, but we may all have underestimated just how tough a season it may end up being for him and for Golden State. Getting blown out on opening night in your new building by 19 was not the way you wanted to start a new year. Let me start with this. Jim Harbaugh has been an overachiever throughout his life. He overachieved to become the Michigan starting quarterback. He overachieved to play 14 years in the National Football League. Never a superstar, but to have a 14-year career when the average is about three and a half, a lot of people would love to have that, right? He became a college head coach at San Diego State and overachieved there with a three-year record of 29-5 and with two Pioneer League championships in three seasons. Then, he went on to Stanford, which we know is a very tough place to win. To win at Stanford is not easy. There's no cupcake classes, and players have to be accepted to Stanford before they can sign a letter of intent to play football there. They're one of the very few, if not the only school in FBS where that's the case. So you're not getting too many blue chippers there, are you? As Stanford head coach in his first season, he was a 41-point underdog against USC. And this was when USC was one of the best programs in the country. Pete Carroll head coach, Reggie Bush running back, uh, uh, Matt Leinart uh, quarterback. I mean, they were loaded all over the place, loaded O-line, loaded D-line. They were sending tons of guys to the NFL. USC then was like Alabama is now, right? But being a 41-point underdog in his first season... Jim Harbaugh overachieved again and coached the Cardinal to a 24-23 win over USC, which remains the biggest upset in college football history. In four years at Stanford, he went from 4-8 to 12-1 in his final season, more overachieving. Then on to the NFL, three straight NFC title game appearances and one Super Bowl appearance with the San Francisco 49ers. Soon as he leaves, 49ers are in the toilet, overachieving again. Next, 
Back home to Michigan, over five years, the Wolverines are 43-15. and 15. He's averaging more wins than Michigan coaching legend Bo Schembechler, who also, by the way, never won a national championship. I'm bringing all this up because from reports, Jim Harbaugh is on the hottest of hot seats. He's one of the highest paid coaches in college football. And even though he's brought the Wolverines back to national prominence, they're still not where Michigan fans and maybe administration wants them to be. They don't win the big games. They aren't in national championship contention. And more than that, in four full seasons, he hasn't yet beaten Ohio State. And not only have they haven't beaten them, last season they got smoked. And that's one of the biggest things that you need to do in order to be successful and maintain your job as a Michigan head coach is find a way to beat Ohio State. This year, they couldn't beat Wisconsin and got bodied at Camp Randall. They got out to a 3 touchdown deficit at Penn State last week before clawing their way back into the game and falling short. Saturday night at home, they have a hot Notre Dame team coming in for another rivalry game. If they don't win Saturday, who knows what happens? I think one of the biggest issues is at every stop, Jim Harbaugh has been able to get the most out of the QB position, whether it was Andrew Luck or Colin Kaepernick. But so far at Michigan, he hasn't been able to do that. He hasn't been able to either recruit or coach up the QB position, and for some reason, that's going on. And that's a huge issue because we know that's the most important position in sports. Uh, definitely should be another good one this game, Notre Dame and Michigan Saturday night, in a history of good ones. The other huge game from that part of the country is going to be number 13, Wisconsin, at number 3, Ohio State. Going into last week, Wisconsin looked like one of the best teams in the country, but after an upset to unranked Illinois, that dream of getting into the playoffs is probably over. They'd need too much to happen to all the teams above them to be able to get in. Regardless, if the Badgers are anywhere near what they thought they might be and what we thought they might be early in the season, they have to go win in a very hostile environment at the shoe against the Buckeyes. Ohio State Looks like they have zero weaknesses. They really look like one of the best teams in the country easily. They have a fast athletic defense. They can run the football. They can throw it. And they have an extra weapon with Justin Fields at the quarterback position. He can throw it. He can throw it on the move. He can throw it from the pocket. He can get out and run because he's fast and athletic. The key is going to be for Ohio State. Can they handle Wisconsin's physicality at the point of attack? Because you know what the Badgers are offensively. They want to run the ball down your throat, and they want to throw based off of the play action. Now, in their defense, they're making more plays downfield than the past game with Quentin Cephas, but they are and always have been a power-running team. Now, the flip side is, can the Wisconsin defense deal with more speed on offense than they've seen all season and more schematic versatility? We'll be waiting to find out. Finally, heading down south. A big one that's going to start to sort out the SEC picture, although maybe not quite, because uh, the playoff committee clearly doesn't punish SEC teams for losses as badly as they punish others. What, you don't believe me? <laughs> Look at the drop UGA took in the polls after an unranked South Carolina team beat them versus the loss, uh, the drop that Wisconsin took in the polls with their loss to an unranked Illinois team. Uh, Georgia went from third to eighth while Wisconsin went from 6 all the way out of the top 10 to number 13. I'm just saying. Anyways, I promise I won't get on my soapbox about 
SEC bias during this episode. Anyway, uh, number nine, Auburn at number two, LSU is going to be another big time SEC game. Whether you're an SEC fan or not, that's going to be a great football game to watch. And um, LSU clearly has the second best passing offense in the country. And Joe Burrow is lighting up scoreboards all over the place. He's got 29 touchdowns to only four picks with almost 2,500 passing yards. That is insane. As usual, Auburn is a run-heavy team, but LSU allows less than half of what Auburn usually gets in a game on the ground. Auburn averages about 240 uh, rushing yards per game, while LSU allows only 93. So something's got to give. And if the running game gets slowed down considerably, the game is going to come down to whether or not true freshman Bo Nix can make plays through the air for Auburn against LSU. LSU definitely wants this win, especially because it would be perfect for them going into the bye before the big Bama game on November 9th. And that's the one we're probably all waiting to see. Hopefully, Tua will be back and healthy for that one because Bama's passing offense versus LSU's passing offense, man, for the first time, we might see an SEC game look like a Big 12 game. The NFL is obviously a very different animal from college. Um, no committee with arbitrary and unstandardized guidelines for playoff selection. You know exactly what gets you in. There's no favorites. There's nothing subjective. Win enough games and you make the playoffs, plain and simple. So now the NFL is at the halfway point of its regular season. Uh, we're at week eight and uh, there are some teams that clearly are above the rest. They've separated themselves. Some others that we aren't quite sure about, but have shown how good they can be on any given Sunday. And we know who the doormats are. Clearly, those teams that have separated themselves are the Patriots, as normal, the 49ers, and the Green Bay Packers. The second tier is probably the Ravens, the Chiefs, the Vikings, Saints, and Seahawks. All very good teams capable of beating anyone if you're not prepared. And, uh, you know, we'll see going forward how they turn out to be. And uh, I think that we're gearing up for a great second half of the NFL season. By the way, I just wanted to show some love to the ageless Adrian Peterson, the best pure running back of this generation who just keeps going. And in his last game became the sixth leading rusher in NFL history, passing the bus Jerome Bettis and LaDainian Tomlinson. Adrian Peterson now has 13,701 career rushing yards, and he will be without a doubt a first ballot Hall of Famer and arguably one of the best ever at the position. Just wanted to show some love to AP for what he's been able to do over his time in a very difficult league. Um, so games this weekend to keep an eye on. I, I really just have two. I kind of went down the schedule and only saw two games that really, really interest me. Um, I'm sure that once the games are being played, we're going to have some intrigue and some good stuff. But these are the two right now that I want to keep my eyes on. And the first one is the Carolina Panthers at San Francisco 49ers. Now, this is a similar situation to last week's Patriots-New York Jets matchup. You have a young QB with a lot of promise against a vicious defense. Now, the young QB is obviously going to be Kyle Allen and the vicious defense, obviously the 49ers defense. The thing about the 49ers is they can get after you with just the front four, forcing a quarterback, especially a young one, into mistakes throwing into the secondary. And the 49ers obviously are going to focus on shutting down Christian McCaffrey, who leads the league in scrimmage yards, 
and that will take away a huge offensive weapon. Now, you don't want to put the game entirely on the shoulders of a young quarterback, especially going against a defense like that, but that looks like it's probably the game plan and what likely may happen, and that being the case, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And also, defense wins championships. I am going with the 49ers in this one. The second game for me to look at is going to be the Cleveland Browns and the New England Patriots. Now, this is another situation with a young quarterback against a dominant defense. To add to the disadvantage, you have a rookie head coach in Freddie Kitchens against the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick. And the New England defense is playing lights out. Granted, it's all been against bad teams for the most part, but again, when you play against bad teams, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to beat them bad, right? And uh, that New England defense is also playing for the greatest defensive mind ever. You have a huge problem for opposing offenses to the tune of only allowing 148 passing yards per game and 75 rushing yards per game. Now, there's still half the season to go, and they haven't played all the best teams yet in terms of their schedule. But if these Patriots can keep on this pace, they'll be right up there with those 2,000 Ravens and the 2,002 Buccaneers and the 85 Bears in terms of all-time great defenses. They are really doing something special. But, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But as of right now, that's the level they're playing at. Now, you combine the way that defense is playing with Baker Mayfield, who... I am a big fan of, but let's face it, he isn't getting it done right now. Now, I know a couple of weeks ago, I did a Bruce breakdown explaining some of the factors around why Baker isn't having the success that we thought he would in this second season. And I stand by those things that I said, but still, two things can be true. And his QBR of 39 and his touchdown to interception ratio of five touchdowns to 11 picks for any reason, just isn't getting it done. And that that is what it is. Now, he is talented, and he does have plenty of weapons. So you never know, because it is the NFL, and everybody's professionals here. But as of right now, as much as I hate to say it, Baker Mayfield. Now we call that barbecue chicken. And the Patriots defense is looking at the Browns offense like a Labor Day cookout. Before we get up out of here, you know what time it is. It's time for the Bruce. Now I'm not going to take this edition of the Bruce Breakdown and do it how I normally do it in terms of giving you a sports topic that I can attack with stats. Nah, this time I just want to share something I was thinking about. New York Jets head coach Adam Gase and the organization are upset that ESPN aired their young QB Sam Darnold saying that he was quote-unquote seeing ghosts on Monday Night Football. So here's my question for Adam Gase. Why don't you shut the hell up? Did you have any part in the decision to mic up your second-year QB? I bet you did. You didn't know prior to that game that Belichick had won 19 straight against rookie or second-year quarterbacks? I bet you did. You didn't know the Patriots were going to be coming for blood against a young quarterback like they always do? I bet you did. You didn't have to mic him up. You could have mic'd up another player. So now, when ESPN does their job and lets the audience hear it, which, by the way, is the entire point of being mic'd up, you want to get mad? 
How about you do your damn job as a head coach and keep your quarterback from getting run over and your team from getting blown out? Then you wouldn't have to be upset and complaining about something that was your fault in the first place. Man, get on your job. And that's all I got for this episode of the Bruce Breakdown. And that's all I got for this episode of the Format Podcast. For returning listeners, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for uh, joining me again. I really appreciate all the support all this time. Uh, as you know, we're at episode 41 now. And we're almost to the 1,000 listens magic number. So really appreciate that. If you're a new listener, thank you so much for checking in and sticking with me. Hope you made it all the way through. I uh, hope I gave you some things to think about. Even if you didn't agree, that's cool. Um, but I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, also, you can reach me on social media. You can uh, catch me on uh, Instagram at the format podcast. That's at the format podcast. You can catch me on Twitter um, at Bruce F A Hope. That's at Bruce F A Hope. And uh, you can definitely let me know if you enjoyed the show. If you didn't, where I was right, where I was wrong. You can suggest new things for me to talk about. Suggest topics for the show, or you can just generally shoot the breeze with me. I love the interaction. I really appreciate it all. Again, even if you agree, don't agree. If you're a fan, not a fan, all that is. Cool. I appreciate it. If you do agree and you do like the show, well, I tell you what, any platform you're listening to this on, if that platform gives you an opportunity to rate and review the show, please do so. Rate and review, rate and review, rate and review. Give us the stars or whatever it is, the the rate and review mechanism and uh, let people know you're enjoying it. Also, if you have friends, family, co-workers, fellow acquaintances, classmates, whoever, and you know they're into sports talk, Well, introduce him to the pod. Let him hear it because I'm doing my best to bring you original and uh, thought-provoking and interesting content uh, every week. So, um, again, I appreciate it, and uh, I'll be back with you next week. I'm out. Peace.